Hey, what's up, guys? It's Joel. If you guys haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Heat vs. the World podcast. And now, stand up. And make some noise for your host, Joel Jacob. What's up, Heat Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Heat vs. Storal Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joel Jacob. And you can follow me on Twitter at JoelKJacob underscore. Without further delay, let's meet today's correspondents. First, we got Christian. On to the conference finals. We got Anthony. Eight more to go, yo. Kevin. Heat and six. And last but not least, Orchard. Let's go, Heat Nation. All right, y'all. So we got a very special episode today. And to start it off, we got to talk about the Heat officially being halfway through their quest for championship number four. Miami finished the Sixers in six, putting them in the conference finals where they will play either Milwaukee or Boston. Leading the way for Miami, you got Jimmy Butler with 32 points, eight rebounds, four assists, and two blocks. Max Struess with 20 points, four triples, 11 rebounds, and five assists. P.J. Tucker with 12 points, 9 rebounds, and 2 blocks. Bam Adebayo with 10 points while being 5 of 5 from the field with 8 rebounds and 2 steals. And Tyler Hero with 10 points. With all that being said, what do you guys make of this series clinching victory for the Heat? We'll begin with you, Christian. I'm glad Miami was able to get it done in 6. You know, I didn't want to see it to go to Game 7 because I didn't want to see Miami face elimination. But it's just so nice and refreshing to see Jimmy actually stepping up and becoming that guy. Because for a majority of the regular season down the stretch, it looked like it was going to be Tyler. So in the big moments, I expected there to be more Tyler action. I also expected Bam to step up this postseason and average about 25 points. But Jimmy is here to prove a point that he is, you know, on that superstar level. He's that player that you can put the ball in his hands and he's going to make a difference, whether it's on the scoring end or getting the timely stops on the defensive end. I'd also like to note the stat that we had last episode is now increased to 6-0, as in Miami is 6-0 when Gabe Vincent is in the starting lineup this playoffs. So the intangibles that these Miami players have, I think we have to give some credit to Pat Riley for being able to find these undrafted players like Struess and Vincent and plugging them into a playoff lineup where they don't even get just good minutes, but they actually start and they create a net effect. So now as a Heat versus the World podcast exclusive, I'm going to give you guys a look inside Doc Rivers' kitchen, if you don't mind just listening for a second. So as you can tell, just as in his team huddles, Doc Rivers is cooking up nothing. My man had nothing cooking up this entire series. 
put the ball in Harden's hands. He goes five of 13, scores 11 points, 0 of two in the second half. Are you kidding me? Doc Rivers' game plans just had not received the, uh, I guess, the returns that he expected. It's hard to blame just Doc Rivers, though, because you can't let James Harden slide. He gave up in the second half. I mean, the, the Sixers team just had no fight to them. The way that Miami came out, game five, um, I knew. I knew right then and there that Miami was going to blow the Sixers off the floor and that the Sixers were not going to be able to match their energy. Joel Embiid, even though he tried his best, you know, he got some great points. You just look at it. 7 of 24 is not going to get the job done. If that was KD or a legitimate shooting superstar, everyone would be up on him. But instead, the narrative is James Harden and the narrative is Doc Rivers. But, you know, you look at Tyrese Maxey too, 20 points on 9 of 22. I just wanted to say, one more thing about Tyrese Maxey. He was above and beyond the best Sixers player in this series by far. And that can't happen when you have James Harden, a multi-time scoring champion, multi-time all-star, and you have Joel Embiid finish second in the MVP race, even regardless of him having his injuries. Like, you know, you can't have Tyrese Maxey being the best player on your team in this series if you're the Sixers. And he was. And Doc didn't adjust his game plan. And, you know, we love to blame Doc for this and that. Cause it's funny. He blew three, three to one leads. But in this series, they never got the lead. Doc never got that chance to blow a lead. You know, he tied up the series and then that was it. They didn't win after that. So I'm happy. I'm very happy with the way Miami looks because not only do they look good coming out of this series, but they look like they're definitely going to bring real competition to whoever wins the Eastern Conference uh, semifinals on the other side. I agree. And what's so crazy is that never in a million years would I expect James Harden to put up the same amount of points in the second half of an elimination game that Ben Simmons would have for Brooklyn in their elimination game against Boston. Like, it seems like a balanced trade, if you ask me. And Anthony, how about you? Well, first of all, Joel, I just want to say thank you for choosing me to do this pod today over Tobias Harris. I greatly appreciate it. You know, I I said this last episode, Christian just said it, Doc Rivers was cooking up absolutely nothing. And speaking of nothing, that's the exact contribution that you got from James Harden in the second half. I mean, that man took one shot, one shot in the second half. That's as many vaccination shots as Matisse Thibault has, who sucks, by the way. So I do feel bad for Danny Green and also for the Sixers, because that meant more Matisse Thibault minutes. And obviously he kind of, he kind of sucks, but Anyways, I mean, I had a whole list of points to talk about this topic. Christian literally covered every single one of them, other than, I guess, the the joy of winning in Philly and Jimmy Butler getting to wave by. That was uh, probably better than winning in Miami, to be honest. But, but other than that, every other point was covered. Thank God there's no Game 7. We need the rest. Big Boston fan tonight. Right. And I just got to say, like, it's a good thing that the Heat didn't play with their food, especially because we don't have to play till Tuesday. You know, it gives Miami enough time to heal, especially for Kyle. So we'll see what happens. And also, I just got to say shout out to the Sixers fans, because I mean, come on, like I knew like y'all always talked all that smack about the Heat and their fans and stuff like y'all was really booing the team. Like there was a time where I don't think I could have heard the commentators because y'all just kept booing and booing and booing like y'all could keep it down for a bit. And then and I was so surprised because then you see the Sixers fans leaving with the whole like six and a half minutes left. 
Like, I thought you guys were telling us that it was just Heat fans who did it. Like, I'm so confused right now. I mean, like, six and a half minutes left, and one of the greatest fan bases in the world in the 76ers fans are just going to leave like that? They're not even going to watch their team try to fight and maybe some way, somehow, force a game seven? Very shocking behavior, in my opinion. But, you know, it is what it is. And let's see, Kevin, how about you? Yeah, man, um... This is pretty much exactly how I expected the series to play out. Like, I felt like the Heat were clearly the better team. They explore, excuse me, they display uh, more championship characteristics than Philly. They have the better head coach, clearly. You know, they're probably going to have the better head coach in majority of the series that they go on for from here. And also, too, like, this was personal for Jimmy Butler. Like, what a lot of people didn't really take into consideration was that Jimmy Butler has probably been looking forward to this ever since, you know, he did the sign and trade to Miami. You know what I'm saying? In exchange for Josh Richardson and other players, you know, I went to Portland. But, again, like, the Heat are simply just a better team. Um, even without Kyle Lowry, who wasn't even near 100% when he tried to play, and I respect him for trying to play, but we just didn't need him. Gabe Vincent came in and did what Gabe Vincent has been doing for this entire season. And, you know, we're, we've, we're very slept on. We know this. We don't get a lot of love in the national media. But, like, this team is really, really good. And a lot of people don't notice that, especially because we didn't play on, you know, that many nationally televised games. But the Heat are the real deal. And the defense was crazy. Um, I think the best thing they did was, you know, stopping all that switching, you know, sticking, you know, PJ on James Harden, Jimmy on Tyrese Maxey, and just letting Bam live, you know, with the pick and roll versus beat. I think that was the smartest thing they ever did. And I think, honestly, when we did that in game five, I think that changed the entire series. So shout out to the Heat. On to the Eastern Conference Finals, and let's get these eight these eight more wins. Yes, sir. And how about you, Orchard? I'm so thrilled that we're heading back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, you know, I I wasn't surprised that we won this game. You know, I feel like, of course, you know, we were 0-2 against Philly on the road this uh, this series, and overall we were 1-3 on the road. But, you know, taking that 3-2 lead just kind of changes the mentality, like whether you have home court advantage or not. Obviously, you know, home court advantage does matter, but I just feel like things change when you have that 3-2 lead. And Miami's energy in game five and six was a lot more different than it was in game three and four. Uh, obviously, the one thing that was consistent on the road was their three-point shooting, which they've been struggling a little bit with. But, you know, it's something that they're going to have to work on and hopefully improve on for the next series. But uh, that was my that was pretty much my only negative from that game, just a three-point shooting. Besides that, there's no there's no better definition of taking care of business than this game. Uh, you know, Philly wanted to force a game seven. We didn't let them. Uh, our, all of our starters did an amazing job. Bam with a perfect five for five. Jimmy Butler with another dominant performance. Um, I believe his fourth consecutive 30-point game on the road. Max Struess, man, I, I this is probably one of his biggest games of his career, if not the biggest. And I think he said it himself, another double-double is absolutely amazing. And, you know, you guys are talking about Doc Rivers, and I just want to say this, Kendrick Perkins, never ever say Doc Rivers is going to out-coach Eric Spolstra. I, I never want to hear that from him again. I don't want to hear from anyone because we, I, I think everyone knows that that was not going to happen. Um, and I think everyone pretty much cleared the biggest points of the um, the game. And I this is just a small thing. I don't really like Joel Embiid's game of trying to draw fouls all the time, but I, I will say I respect him a little more after this series. You know, it's it's not easy playing through two fractures. It's it's tough, and he obviously wasn't 100 percent during the series, but you know he he definitely has a lot more respect from me. 
And I think a lot of Heat fans do too. And that's all I have to say. Right. You know, overall, it was just a cherry on top if you're a Heat fan. Because, you know, as you mentioned, Kevin, like all that slander the Heat got, you know, after Jimmy made the move to come to Miami. Oh, Jimmy came to retire. He came to do this. He came to do that. You know, he doesn't care about winning. Like, how are you going to say that you want to win and you go to the Heat of all teams, you know? Like, you heard all this slander for, like, years now. And for him to show up and do his thing, it was just such a great thing to see. And, you know, it's a great thing that we bring up Jimmy because I want to take this time, you know, to not only look back at the series he had, but, you know, look back at what some of the other players did as well and talk about the many highlights that took place from this team. Like, with that in mind, what are some major points that you guys specifically look back on when thinking about this series? Start us off, Anthony. Well, as far as highlights on the court, we saw a lot of similar things last series, which was great shooting outside of the two games in Philadelphia. We saw them locking down the other team's star players, forcing the opposing shooters to shoot. So as far as on the court, it was a lot of what you'd expect coming from this team. I felt we were the better roster going into it. And of course, it it proved that way. I'd say one highlight was Joel Embiid returning in game three. I'm super glad that he came back, even though I don't think he should have just for health reasons. But at least, you know, Philly fans can have that excuse of saying Embiid didn't play because, I mean, we kicked their butt when he was out. We kicked their butt when he was in. Um, So some other highlights, maybe. I don't know. Georges Niang talking crap after shooting one of 17. I don't know. I don't I don't got much. I do want to shout out, though, my boy Robert, who is the cooking up nothing guy. Uh, he actually retweeted my video yesterday on YouTube because I had used him in the thumbnail. I uh, titled it Cooking Up Elimination. He retweeted, which is pretty cool. But that's going to be really funny. That's going to be a legendary meme. for, And we're going to be seeing that for years to come. And it's really cool that the Heat admin on Twitter took notice and, you know, started mentioning that a couple of times, too. So I'd say that was a big highlight. We gonna remember that for a while. And at the end of the day, they did what I expected them to. And in my opinion, they're going to have their first real challenge coming up in the next round. I agree. And shout outs to Heat legend Robert, by the way. And uh, Kevin, how about you? Yeah, I think, honestly, the main highlight to me of this series was honestly just the Heat's defense, just continuing being at this high level that's been playing out all season long. You know what I'm saying? I mentioned it earlier, but like, you know, when they stopped switching, you know, Jimmy staying on Tyrese Maxey was huge. I think that really altered the entire series because, you know, before that, he was cooking. He was pretty much getting to his spots whenever he wanted to, you know, killing in transition. And then Oladipo, man, too, like, the work him and P.J. Tucker did on James Harden, and I know James Harden is no longer the James Harden that he once was, you know, at his peak in his prime, but he's still a solid player, and it's not a lot of people that could lock him up um, like the Heat did. And, you know, I just thought that was on full display. Bam did an excellent job in game six, guarding Joel and B. Like, that was a hell of a defensive performance that honestly probably won't get enough attention, but you definitely have to give him his praise. But to me, that's really what it came down to. And, of course, I know we're going to talk about Jimmy Butler, too. But, honestly, that's really a given. So, I think the main highlight was just the Heat's defense and, you know, game six, you know, how they close it out in Philly. You know, and, and like y'all said, had their fans, you know, going home with, like, what, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. So, can't say enough about their elite defense, man. Right. Like, they was just all over the place. And I said this about Trey Young last series, and I'm going to say it about James Harden now. Like, he's going to be listening to Locked Up by Akon for the rest of this offseason. I just know it. And Orchard, what's on your mind? Uh, pretty similar to my highlights from the last series, our defense holding Philly to under 100 points in multiple games. And I think the, I, if I had to get, like, tell you the quarter that's my favorite, 
is probably the third quarter. I feel like the third quarter is Miami's key quarter. It's the most fun. Really, I feel like that's where they start to pick up their pace if they're having a slow start or even if they're down. I feel like that's the quarter where it just becomes the more fun, more uh, the team's hitting more shots and playing their best defense. I don't know why, but it's there. That's just it. And then Jimmy Butler, obviously, I, I'll talk about more on the next topic, but he just had an amazing series. He had a play. I mean, he no one could guard him. You know, we saw him switch on to Embiid multiple times and he was still scoring. And that was just extremely amazing from Jimmy Butler. Just if we look from looking at the regular season, no one thought that he was going to translate this into the playoffs. And he has done so, so far. And I'm so happy for him. And then overall, this team's hustle, especially like getting offensive rebounds. PJ Tucker, man, this guy's this guy has like for his age, his hustle is amazing. And I absolutely love PJ Tucker. I wasn't I wasn't actually super excited when we signed him. And man, let me tell you, I was so wrong about saying that that was a bad signing. And I, I absolutely love him. And that and I think Max Struess also deserves to be mentioned because of his double doubles in game five and six. Watching him ball out was amazing. And yeah, th- that was definitely the highlights of the series for me. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Christian? I think just there was a lot of things that went down this series um, on the Miami side of things that were really good. I mean, just seeing Gabe Vincent's play elevated to when he became a starter, uh, that was pretty much enough for me. But I, I want to mention something that people aren't going to mention as far as heat highlights. I want to highlight James Harden's fourth quarter in game four. Because it was at that moment where I sat there for a second and it almost put fear in my heart. I realized, I'm like, wow, the way that this series looks right now, tied 2-2, if Harden's playing like this, it was just crazy to see. And I'm thinking here, I'm like, Harden's not going to have another quarter like that. But just to see how, you know, Miami has to play against that and then they come back to their home court and they blow them out by, you know, 25-30. It was the, the perspective that, I think it was 35, 120 to 85. But the perspective that, okay, so if the Sixers actually like turn it on, how is Miami going to respond? So it's knowing that it's the uncertainty going into game five that really like, you know, makes it even more exciting. The series getting tied to two. Of course, ideally you'd want every series to be a sweep, but just seeing that level of competition and how Miami is going to fare against that is going to be, you know, even greater on the next level. So in the conference finals, presumably both teams are better than Philadelphia. So it's how Miami can step up to competition when the competition is there. Obviously, Harden didn't have another great game for the rest of the series, but just watching that and then watching all of the Philadelphia players start making excuses and beat at the end of the series, he said, oh, you know, Houston, Harden, he's not that player anymore. Doc Rivers is like, yeah, you know, I'm not concerned about my job safety, blah, blah, blah. It's just seeing all of those things transpire after having that really pivotal game four and then games five and six just being so far in the Heat's favor. So I think it was just the Heat themselves just turning up was a great highlight. Right. You know, and it just goes to show how powerful this team really is because, I mean, to see the Heat just play at the level that they did, especially when a lot of people tried to turn on the Heat, you know, especially J.J. Reddick, the guy that we thought was going to be a Heat lifer, you know, for the Heat to just turn up the Heat and just show that, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to do our thing. Like, you just love to see it. And, you know, game five, they went and they turned on the heat. And game six, they just kept going with it. So, 
overall, I'm just so pleased with what I saw from this team. And I know I speak for Heat fans everywhere when I say that you just can't wait to see what this Heat team does next because I think one thing we were all bummed about is the fact that at first we thought Embiid was probably not going to play for this whole series. But for him to come back for, you know, games three to six, you know, first of all, massive respect to him because he really put a lot on the line by just simply returning to the game, especially when he wasn't able to use his phone until like, what, a couple of days until making his return, like, Shout out to him for that. But for Miami specifically, you know, to get themselves ready and especially to Gabe Vincent, because, you know, we didn't think that, you know, Kyle's injury would continue to impact him for this whole series. So the fact that he was ready to hop in and continue to be the starter for the Heat while Kyle continues to go through that rehab process, like it's just great to know that he's going to be ready no matter what. And it just goes to show like how powerful our depth really is, because at the end of the day, people are going to be willing to hop in and make their presence be felt. You know, we're going to see that from all our guys. And it's just such a great thing to see. We saw that from people like Gabe and we'll see that from all the other guys that we have on that bench. So that's basically all there is to say about that. And now it's time to now talk about one player specifically, and that's none other than Jimmy Butler. We had to dedicate this whole segment to him because Jimmy has been putting his whole heart and soul into this postseason run. And he continued to show his dominance in this series against Philly, especially when he dropped 32 points to close the Sixers out. He also shouted after the game, Tobias Harris over me? And to those who don't know, this is a reference to the fact that the 76ers ultimately chose to keep Tobias Harris on the team instead of bringing back Jimmy. Acknowledging all of this, how amazed have you guys been by the Jimmy Buckets show? Give us your thoughts, Kevin. Man, um, this is everything I've always expected and I've seen, and I think we've seen out of Jimmy Butler if you watch his career play out. Like going back to Chicago, he had some big time performances. You know, obviously he took the weak Minnesota Timberwolves to the playoffs. Philly had their best run with Jimmy Butler aside, you know, alongside um, Joel Embiid and, and all those guys, J.J. Redick and all those guys. So, like, Jimmy just goes to a different level in the playoffs. And I, I never understood it because, like, a lot of people love to put so much stock and weight into the regular season performance. But every single season, aside from last year, when we came off the shortest offseason in, like, professional sports history in America, and, you know, he, he carried us to the regular season, like, he had his first bad playoff series. Like, every great player or elite player has had a bad playoff series. So I didn't hold that against him because that was the first one he's ever had. The other one, he had a torn MCL when he was in Minnesota. So, like, he just goes to a different level. And this is what he's done for a long time. And I knew he was going to set the tone trying to bounce back from last, you know, playoffs. And it started off with the Hawks. And then, of course, as I mentioned, it was personal for Philly. Like, he's been wanting this. I promise you, Jimmy. I don't know him. I've never talked to him. But I promise you, like, just knowing the type of competitor Jimmy Butler is, I promise you he's been wanting to play Philly. And he finally got his opportunity and he made the most of it. I've seen he averaged like 35 points per game on the road, which is disgusting because there's not too many star players that can do that. And he's different. He closed out the game last night doing literally everything. That's what he's been doing for this Heat team ever since he joined, you know, a few years ago because he's just elite on defense. He's always active in the passing lanes. He can guard the ball. Help side, he's always there. On offense, not only has his playmaking risen, but, you know, when the Heat are at their best when he's scoring. And that's just what he is, man. He's a different type of caliber player. And respect Jimmy Butler. 
what a great way to end that. Like, respect Jimmy Butler, exactly, because you see all this hate he gets, and it just seems like people still continue to overlook him. You know, whether if it's the national media or whoever, you know, people will spend more time talking about guys like Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, or whoever. But when do we ever get the opportunity to talk about Jimmy Butler and how great he's been this postseason? Like, I don't think national media really wants to take the time to truly acknowledge that. And, you know, it's something that we've complained about for so long, and I want to keep talking about that. But it just goes to show how garbage, you know, these networks are, like ESPN and Fox Sports, which is why it's just so, like, like, it's just pointless at this point to honestly argue about it. So I'm going to just leave it out there for that. And then Orchard, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. The media does not respect Jimmy Butler that much. And it's just, it's not a big surprise to me because I think we all know that Jimmy Butler, he's not, he's not a very fat, flashy player when you compare him to other stars. And, but that's, that's what I like about him. He's not focused on being flashy. He wants to win. And his mentality is so inspiring. You know, he he does he took last year. I mean, there's many guys who can take a previous playoff performance and let that get in their head. But Jimmy Butler is such has such has just a, such a strong mentality that he did not let last year get into his head. And like Kevin was saying, it was one playoff series. Every star has had their series where they struggle, and he had his last year. And to top that, he was literally carrying us to uh, the seat that we hit last um, season. Uh, I remember there were a couple of games last season when he was leading us in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals. If that doesn't if that doesn't define carrying, I don't know what does. And I, everyone was struggling last last season. It wasn't just Jimmy; it was everyone. And they they all everyone took that in the past and threw it away. And back to Jimmy Butler. He's playing his heart out, and he wants to win so badly, and he's he's definitely displayed it. One of the best playoff perform performers so far, if not the best. And you know, just I I think playing Philadelphia is obviously what he wanted. He said he said that he want he likes the feeling of beating a former team, and I don't I think he wanted to stay with them. You know, there was obviously a lot of talks, and I I think he wouldn't have mind staying with them and trying to compete for another championship, but that didn't happen. And thank God it didn't because he wouldn't be in Miami otherwise. But he he's just such a strong-minded person, and he puts in the hours and gets the job done. Exactly. And you got people calling him a cancer teammate just because he wanted the most from his guys. Like, you see that in Minnesota, and then people rambled that in Philly after he left. Like, it's just garbage, you know? And it's just great to see how he was able to shut all those people down, you know, during his time here in Miami. So it's something that you just love to see. And Christian, what about you? I think Jimmy is mentally the embodiment of what Jordan might be like in today's NBA. I'm not comparing uh, comparing him skill-wise or points-wise, but just in general, the wanting the most from your teammates, you know, the tendencies that you might be viewed as a little bit more toxic because you do want more, you want players to dedicate themselves more. That's everything Jordan was doing in the 90s. So the fact is that the NBA, believe it or not, it's getting a little bit more soft. And I mean, just the fact that Jimmy Butler is able to elevate his game in the postseason I know this isn't that much of a talked about narrative, but there are players like, you know, James Harden who are pretty good in the regular season. I mean, he had some of the greatest regular seasons of all time back in the um, 
the 2010s, but Jimmy Butler is able to take his game to a whole new level in the postseason when it matters most. I know a lot of people are going to be talking about the series from last season where, you know, the Bucks came through, but I don't think that has anything to do with this season. I think there was a lot of hard thinking during that offseason because it was a long offseason and Jimmy rededicated himself and these Heat players got themselves together. And we all remember when Jimmy Butler got into it with UD on the bench and Spolstra through the clipboard. That's the type of fire that you need. And that's the mentality you need as a player if you're going to lead a team in this league. So the fact that Jimmy's assumed his role and started showcasing his skill set, I don't think he has a top 10 bag in the NBA. I think the reason that he's been so successful this postseason is because he is the hardest hustling superstar in the NBA right now. There's no superstar. You can name top 10, 15 superstars. And I think Jimmy's definitely in the top 15, maybe in the top 10. We'll talk about that later. That hustle better than Jimmy Butler. The hustle more than Jimmy Butler, every loose ball, every steal, getting up the court on the fast break. No one does that better or more effectively than Jimmy Butler. So I just love watching the hustle from Jimmy. And I love watching the mentality that he has, whether it's in-game, waving by to the Sixers fans, you know, hyping up his teammates, you know, the arm pumps, the yelling, or even after the game, when he said, you chose Tobias Harris over me as he's walking to the locker room, shaking his head. So it's just a great embodiment of heat culture. And I think Miami happened to be the best landing spot for Jimmy. So I'm glad that he's able to come to this Miami Heat team and provide the value that desperately needed. Right. And the thing with Miami is that, you know, heat culture is not for everyone. And I want to make that clear because you have so many fans out there that be like, oh, like everyone talks about heat culture. Like it's nothing like not. Nah, it is something that is real, you know. You look at these players, you know, they take it very seriously. And people think that it's just something very strict. Nah, like it's just type of being professional, you know, wanting to work hard, wanting to be better than what you were before. It's all of those things. It's about just simply winning. And that's just something that the Bulls did not have. Neither did the Timberwolves or any other team that Jimmy's been on before coming to Miami. And when Jimmy landed here, he managed to be a part of something that matched him and his personality perfectly. So when people get so surprised, you know, when they see him thriving here in Miami and they see him getting along with the squad and everything, that shouldn't be a surprise because at the end of the day, He's being placed in a situation that matched him perfectly and somewhere he should have been his whole career. It just took a while for him to land. It's like how we see with PJ and like how he's been on all these teams. And it seems like he should have been the Heat player for so long, right? But now he's finally in Miami after all these years in the NBA. And it's a perfect match for him because just like Jimmy, he also embodies Heat culture. So it just goes to show that you need to be about hard work. You need to be about what Jimmy is. You know, you need to be able to bring that intensity and to play like, you know, that you want, like you want to win. Like you're, you're trying to win a championship. Like nothing else matters unless it helps bring a title to, to your city and everything. And that's what Jimmy is about. And that's why he deserves so much props. And let's see, like Anthony, how about you? Well, first of all, that that was uh, I didn't expect Christian to go with the Michael Jordan comparison there. That was 
that's a little out there. But then again, I do get it because Jimmy Butler is basically the living embodiment of, and I took that personally. I mean, we heard that when he was talking about Tobias after the game. Uh, but I actually just want to say real quick, uh, one of my favorite quotes from Jimmy Butler. We know that he's like a very smart and well-educated, sophisticated guy. So one of my favorite all-time quotes from Jimmy is when he said, you need me, you bleeping need me, you can't win without me. And the reason why I like that quote so much is because it's true. I mean, obviously you can win regular season games without Jimmy, but it's become clear as ever during this playoff run, how he is truly the definition of a max player. I personally solidified that belief after the 2020 finals, when he went toe to toe with, in my opinion, the greatest player of all time. That's when I believed he was the, you know, top 10 definition of a max player. Obviously national media doesn't believe it. They say bubble boys, whatever, but that's when I believed it. And then, of course, we all talked about the very disappointing performance last year. So in my eyes, I wanted to believe it was a fluke. And I did believe it was a fluke just because of the shortest offseason, like Kevin said. But what was really going to make me 100% believe that last year was a fluke is if he came out this postseason and dominated. And dominated is an understatement for what he's done this postseason. So he's definitely proven himself as a max player, you know, not Tobias Harris, not Anybody else who gets paid a ton of money, a max player is a guy who single-handedly wins you the most important games, and that's what we've seen from Jimmy Butler. Amen. You know, like, you just couldn't ask any more from him, man. I'm just so happy that Jimmy finally gets the opportunity to prove himself because, you know, everyone talked about, oh, bubble Jimmy. You know, he can't do what he did in the bubble, you know, you know, in what's it called on an actual NBA, well, not an actual NBA court, but in like an NBA atmosphere with the fans and everything. And, you know, people tried to hype up the fact that he wouldn't be as good as he was in the bubble, just because as you mentioned earlier, Kevin, they had the shortest off season in NBA history and stuff, but people didn't want to focus on that. They just wanted to see whatever they could find to support their narrative. And then let's see this year, Jimmy finally had a good off season. He finally was able to put that work in and to show that he's able to do what we've been all knowing that he's been capable to do. Like he's going out here, having great games. He's killing it in the playoffs. And that's all we knew he was capable of doing, you know, and people still say that, Oh, like he's playing, like he's in, he's back in the bubble. Like, and he's literally playing better than that version. Like, what are y'all trying to go with that narrative? Like y'all need to throw the bubble out of here because if you want to say some of these players in the NBA were flukes, go ahead. We don't care. That's, not our players but when you look at the heat they are not what this type of bubble narratives you guys try to paint because they came out here and they're bowling out better than before especially jimmy butler and the fact that you still got people and i and i want to keep talking about you know him not getting the amount of respect that he deserves but come on now like if you're watching Jimmy Butler put on the performance that he's been putting on in this playoffs and you're still finding a way to undermine it, like it just shows how much of a casual you are. And it's really no point in arguing with you or proving why Jimmy Butler is indeed him because you're just going to continue to just fuel that type of garbage of, oh, Jimmy's never going to be this. Jimmy is never going to be that. When the truth is, Jimmy has shown everyone that he is that guy that you can count on. He is that guy that can get you buckets. He can lead a team. You know, he's crushed all these narratives since coming to Miami that people have tried to make about him. And whenever people try to make new narratives, he squishes that too. 
So overall, Jimmy, if for some reason you choose to listen to this pod, continue to do your thing, man. Continue to prove these clowns wrong. We're with you all the way throughout this entire playoff run. If anyone can lead this team to a championship, it's you, man. So let's see what you got left to bring to the table, especially with this conference finals coming up. But, you know, we've talked so much about Jimmy that now it's time for a recurring segment on the pod, better known as the Spotlight Heat Player of the Series. Christian, you? Spotlight Player of the Series? If we're talking about overall for Miami, I mean, it's got to be James Harden, just like not coming through. But on a serious note, the Spotlight Player of the Series has to be, I'm going to say Gabe Vincent. I want to give it to both Gabe Vincent and Max Strews because in the games that they started, Miami had wins. I know Gabe Vincent didn't start games three and four. So in all the Vincent uh, games that Gabe Vincent started, the Miami Heat won. And then just Strews in general, past two games having double doubles where he's never had double doubles in his career before. I think that there's something to be said about the front office, the, the talent of Pat Riley, who is an excellent coach. He's been doing this for so long and now he's, uh, working on you know the front office and finding these players that they go undrafted, giving them a shot in the NBA and really seeing what they're made of. Because you have two undrafted players in a starting lineup that's going to a conference finals. That's insane. I just love the tenacity that Vincent plays with on both ends of the floor, especially on the defensive end. The fact that he's always going after loose balls, he's getting steals, and then Struess with his excellent stroke from deep, he's a great three-point shooter. And I think that's overlooked a lot. I know we talk a lot about Jimmy. You know we have some highlights from Tyler and Bam. But without the contributions from T- these two undrafted starting role players, I don't know if this series would have gone so heavily in Miami's favor. There could have been a, de- a definitely a different outcome if you had other guys that weren't Struess and Vincent and if they weren't performing to the level that they were this entire series. Right, and Kevin, you? Yeah, my sp- uh, my spotlight heat player to the series, I have to go with Jimmy Butler. And I don't want to drag it out because obviously we literally just spent an entire segment talking about him, but pretty much, man, it, it literally just comes down to his will to win. And it's contagious, you know, it sets the tone. It's made almost every single team that he's been on better. And especially with this team, like, yeah, you know, we probably don't have the most talent, but, you know, we have the most undrafted players and this and that, whatever. Um, everybody falls suit, you know what I'm saying? And, and really, when you have a dude like that leading you, it motivates you to play even better. So that's why I had to go with Jimmy. And, you know, he just sets the tone. that It changes everything for all the teams he's been on, but especially this Heat team. Right. Overall, it just, I mean, I, you guys can't go wrong with going with Jimmy. I mean, that's the obvious choice here. And for me, it's so hard to pick someone that's not Jimmy because he's had such a great run so far. But let's see, if I had to pick... I'll probably just go with Gabe Vincent, um, who you selected, Christian, because, you know, the thing with Gabe Vincent is that, like I said before, you know, we didn't expect Kyle to basically miss the whole series. I know he played games three and four, but he wasn't himself, obviously. So for Gabe to come in as a starter and still play great minutes for us and for the Heat to still be undefeated whenever Gabe plays as the starter, I mean, in this playoff run, that just goes to show how much of a impact he's had on this team. And I just can't wait to see what else he does, especially when Kyle comes back and he ends up taking that role of being the backup point guard, because it seems like he's got so much to give, especially on that defensive end. We saw him clamping up Trey last series. 
and we saw him clamp up hard in this year as well. well not this year well this year yeah but this series as well and you know i'm just so excited for him because this is something that a lot of people were unsure they would see from him because you know like i said in the last pod not everyone was confident in him getting playoff minutes for the first time you know like with that lack of experience would he be able to show up and he's doing just that so for him at this point of the playoffs to still continue to play at this type of level is just amazing and i can't wait to see what he brings next so you know, we talked so much on today's episode that before we close it out, we got to talk about the Eastern Conference Finals for Miami, especially as we wait to see who wins the series between the Bucks and Celtics. Now, the pod will probably be uploaded to YouTube after Game 6 of the series. So um, if the Bucks end up winning tonight's game, um, Game 6, just know that this pod was um, recorded hours before it. I just want to make that clear so I don't see none of y'all in the comments being like, but the Bucks already won the series, all right? Like, we get it we get it y'all just know that all right anyways i want to ask you guys because i feel like you can't go wrong with either choice like if you're in miami who would you rather face in the conference finals and what would be your expectations when going against either team you can kick us off christian so the answer to me is pretty clear um i I know that some people are going to disagree with me but i'm gonna have to say milwaukee so aside from the fan appeal of being, you know, uh, episode three trilogy of Miami gentlemen swept them two seasons ago, the Milwaukee swept them last season, and now they're going to rematch again in the Eastern Conference Finals. I just think that there's a lot to be said about the way that Boston plays and why it's going to be difficult for Miami. So Boston themselves, ever since break, were an offensive job posted the number one offensive rating in the NBA. They were averaging like 122 points per game, some sort of insane number like that. But the thing is is that they have one through five defenders that can easily guard almost any position. They play a switch defense, so it doesn't even matter if you get the switches on. And they're going to make it exceptionally difficult for those Miami stars to get it going. Now, on the defensive side of Miami, Miami has an excellent team defense, but they specialize more so in shutting down the star players. So that's why if you have a Giannis and maybe focusing on one other player on the Bucks, you know, maybe a Lopez or a Portis or if Middleton comes back, maybe even a Drew, right? Miami is going to be able to do that. The Celtics themselves have a very balanced offense. They had Al Horford pop off for 31 points one night, and you still have players like Jason Tatum, who's exceptionally scary because he just shoots the three ball over anyone. He's turning into a mini KD. Like, he really doesn't care. You have Jalen Brown, who's popping off for insane point totals as well, and Marcus Smart, who, even though he's the DPOY, my vote still goes to Drew Holiday, um, he's doing a really great job on the defensive end. You still have Robert Williams in the middle. And they're going to make it exceptionally difficult. The way that they played KD, I can envision them playing Jimmy Butler. I don't think going into this postseason, if they'd matched up in the first round, they would have thought of playing Jimmy Butler like this. But ever since Jimmy Butler's emergence this postseason, I can see them guarding Jimmy like they guarded KD, trying to force the ball out of his hands. And then it's going to go into the hands of Tyler Hero or Bam or another player who's going to have to step up. And I'm going to be honest, if Smart's on Tyler Hero, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be tough for Miami to put up points. It's going to have to be a lot more ball movement and a lot more working around the system that Boston has. Whereas Milwaukee, they're notably a less perimeter defensive team. 
And that's good for Miami because they led the league in three point percentage in games three and four in the series against Philadelphia. When they shot 23% and 20% from three, they lost, right? Miami needs to have a decent shooting night from three. If they want a chance to really like win a game in the postseason, which is what they've been doing. But if they're going up against a Boston team who's playing the switch defense, not giving any shots up on the perimeter, and then on the interior, you still have Williams banging down there. You still have Horford. You have Tice coming in and playing backup minutes. And even though I hate Tice, he's actually done a pretty decent job filling in that uh, defensive spot of the Celtics. They're going to make it really difficult. So the obvious choice for me is Milwaukee. You have to worry about stopping Giannis. After that, Miami's going to have a pretty decent time because the way that Milwaukee plays defense is drop coverage. And in drop coverage, it forces the opposing team to take mid-range shots. And what does Jimmy Butler like to do? Mid-range shots. So he's going to take the open mid-range, and it's going to be a lot easier for Jimmy to score. And once Jimmy is scoring, that opens up the floor for everyone else. And now I know some other people have some things to say about Boston, so I want to move on to that. But then I'd also love to come back and debate this further because this is really interesting to me. Right. So let's see, Anthony, what about you? Who's your pick? Well, that was great, you know, numerical analysis and breakdown by Christian. But I actually remember back in in high school, I think it was in my history class, and we were learning about an ancient Greek philosopher. And he had this great quote that, uh, well, because first of all, I watched game five, Boston, Milwaukee, or Boston, yeah, Boston, Milwaukee. And I must have went back and forth a hundred times on who I'd rather play. But then I remembered this quote from this ancient Greek philosopher that made it much more clear to me. This is what he said. He could be a freak on the court and on the shit, oh you know what I'm saying? And that reminded me that Giannis Adenokounmpo can be a freak on the court, except when he plays the Miami Heat, because he is notorious for letting down versus the Miami Heat. He's only averaging 18 points per game in his career versus the Miami Heat. And in the last two seasons alone, so that's MVP Giannis, it's also 18 points. So that does not take into account uh, you know, rookie Giannis and all that things. That being said, Giannis Adenokounmpo does not scare me. But as Christian was alluding to, I am leaning towards wanting to play the Milwaukee Bucks, mostly because, and you know, call me, call me what it is or whatever you think. But, you know, Bobby Portis scares me, man. <laughs> Brooke Lopez, he scares me, man. Uh, Wesley Matthews, that dude guards Jimmy better than a lot of people in this league. Those guys scare me, man. If you look at Boston, Man, obviously, I'm scared of Jalen Brown. They've had a lot of success against Jason Tatum, but I just don't think that Boston team is ready. I don't think they've ever been ready, and that's been clear because they've never won. I prefer not to go against the champs because they are the champs until someone beats them. So I am currently leaning towards Boston, but, I mean, I'll watch game six tonight, and I'm sure my opinion will change 100 times because that's how evenly matched those teams are. Right, and who's your pick, Kevin? Yeah, in either series um... – I think either series versus Boston or Milwaukee will go seven games regardless, and I'd have a Heat winning in seven. But personally, I'd rather play Milwaukee just because I want the trilogy, one. And then, two, what they did to us last year, like, I want revenge for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, they embarrassed us. And, again, obviously, we were coming off you know, the shortest offseason ever, but they were a better team at the end of the day, too. Like, I'm not going to discredit them for what they did to us. And I think getting that revenge in a year three, like, you know, you know, sadly, they don't have Chris Middleton for now, but – um, I really think we could beat either team personally, but just I want to I want to see Milwaukee and, and like Anthony just mentioned, like we do a great job of guarding Giannis, and I think that would benefit us heavily. And it's going to come down to you know selective shot taking and shot making, but you know that's what it is to be the best. You got to beat the best, and so since they're the reigning defending champions, I'd rather go through them and make this run a little bit more sweeter. 
heading into the NBA Finals potentially. So I'm saying Milwaukee. I agree. And I know that's something that a lot of people have been going for, for the Milwaukee argument. You know, we posted a um, poll on the Heat vs. the World podcast account on Twitter at HVTW Podcast. And we asked everyone who follows us, you know, like, who would you rather play, Milwaukee or Boston? And a lot of people have been picking Milwaukee and people have been putting in the replies that the reason for this is because they want revenge from last season. So, you know, that's definitely something that I think a lot of people should keep in mind for, along with those reasons that both Kevin and um, Christian have brought up. And Orchard, what about you? Man, I have... I have not been able to make up my mind uh, throughout this entire Bucks and Celtics series. I've been going back and forth. Obviously, I was first concerned about uh, us beating Philly. I knew we would, but I also was like, all right, do I want to play Milwaukee or do I want to play Boston? And uh, to be to be real with you guys, I still haven't really made up my mind, but I'm also going to lean a little more towards Milwaukee. Uh, of course, you know, the biggest worry is that they are such a good team still. They're the, they're the defending champions. They've got some really good players, but um, I, feel, I just Boston Boston is really scary. You know, they they obviously struggled in the first half of the season, but they switched that really quickly in the second half of the season. They swept the Nets. They've just looked unstoppable right now. Obviously, Milwaukee has done a great job against them, and they have the um, edge in the series right now, and they could possibly win tonight. Um, but I feel like. The Celtics have just any player that could go off against us. You've got Jason Tatum, you got Jalen Brown, you've got Al Horford, you got any, any any of these guys. I feel like could just go off at any moment. You've got some great defensive players on that team too: Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Grant Williams. They've just got such good. They've. I feel like they just got such good players, and I I really don't like. I feel like we'd still beat them, but I feel like Milwaukee might be a little more easier for us just because. I think we understand the Bucks team a little more than we do the Celtics teams. We've played this team twice, and possibly it could be a third time. Um, so I think we understand the team. But that's also a disadvantage to us because that means Milwaukee knows ju- us just as well. But they also give up a lot of three-pointers, and obviously I think three-point shooting is one of our strengths. Obviously at home, maybe, again, I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, I'm a little worried about how we're going to shoot three on the road, but – the fact that Milwaukee gives a lot of threes is a good sign for me that Miami could do well, um, and that would be a good, uh, great advantage for us. And uh, there was one more thing I want to bring up. I, I know there's someone else who wants to talk, and I will bring up what I wanted to say as soon as I can remember that. Matt, and I know you want to add, Christian. Yeah, I think that something is to be said. The, the reason that it is a little bit difficult is because, you know, they're both great teams. I mean, they are in the conference semifinals, so it's not like either team's going to be a 100% pushover for Miami. But I think as far as the common ground they have is both teams lack the depth that we've seen Miami kind of uh, show us this entire postseason. They really run eight deep. I mean, Boston's bench is really nothing scary. Richard, um, and that's all I can really remember from Boston's bench. I mean, Boston doesn't have a great bench at all. Um, and then for Milwaukee, I know sometimes Bobby Porter comes off the bench, but they still have Serge Ibaka. Uh, if Grayson Allen isn't playing starter mil- uh, minutes, you know, I think the, the biggest factor too is um, Chris Middleton on his return. That could be a little bit 
dangerous because I heard that they were saying he might come back a game six or seven, but obviously there haven't been any reports about it yet. Um, but if Middleton's back for this Miami series, uh, it, it does make it a little bit more concerning because that's going to be a lot more for Miami to handle. So if Chris Middleton does return, it, it could sway a little bit more towards it might be better to play the Celtics. However, you know, it, it's just really, really important for Miami to actually just come out strong against whoever it is. And I know that's what they're going to do. So while neither of these teams scare me, the, the looming return of Chris Middleton is definitely something to watch out for. Right. And I know, um, Orchard, um, you figured out what you wanted to say. Yeah, I did. It was about one of my worries is definitely got to, it's definitely got to be rebounding. I feel like this, it's, it's one reason I don't want to play Milwaukee, but again, I did say I'm leaning more towards playing them. But one thing is the rebounding. I, I think that Miami really struggles to win games when they can't rebound well. And obviously Milwaukee has some pretty tall players. And I feel like that's going to be something we're going to have to work on. And look, I'm not saying that's going to hold us back completely because we were getting out-rebounded when we played them in 2020 and we're still winning games. But we're going to have to, we're going to, have to find a way to work through the fact that that could be a possibility. It, it might not happen. You know, I think, I think this team has some – we might be shorter than Milwaukee, but our hustle is absolutely amazing. And if we do, if we do end up playing them and we out-rebound them in games, I wouldn't be surprised. But that is something I'm a little concerned about. Right. You know, overall, there's so much arguments you can make for both sides regarding why you'd want to play this specific team and why you wouldn't. So that's why I, you know, I I don't have a problem with you guys, you know, wanting to play either one of those teams, Celtics or Bucks, because those are two tough teams. But the truth is, none of you guys picked the correct answer. And I'm really disappointed. The correct answer is that it, did, it doesn't matter who we played because at the end of the day, we got the guts, so we're ready for whoever comes up to the plate. And that's what it's all about. So I'm really disappointed in you guys that nobody said that it doesn't matter because it doesn't. So, you know, you guys need to do a better job in your gut takes next time and we'll go from there. So <laughs> anyways, that's basically about it. Um, can't wait to see what happens in the conference finals. You know, we'll see what happens, whether if it's the Bucks or Celtics, we'll see. But, you know, we've talked so much on today's episode that before we end it, make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram page at HBTW Podcast while checking out our website at hbtwpodcast.wordpress.com. That way you still have access to 24-7 Miami Heat content, even when we're not recording a new episode. Also, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode because we'll be recording a new pod after every playoff win for the Heat, meaning that if God is willing, we'll have at least eight more episodes to record before we officially end season two of heat versus the world anyways thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the heat versus the world podcast and we'll see you guys soon with another episode hit my music because we out thank you for listening and we'll see you next time with a brand new episode of the heat versus the world podcast